Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки. Веди его рукою превознесенную. Великий Бог, Отец, Сын, Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь. Можете садиться. Oh. 
идет со мной она, любовь великая, любовь Христа.
And so before we begin to immerse into our inheritance to study the treasury of or the treasure of eternal life, the unchanging epigraph to our study of the word of God, Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalms concerning me. And so that we as members of the body of Christ divide with Christ all that was written about him in scripture, we will continue our study in the direction of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit in what we must do on our end so that we receive the right to set aside our former way of life so that we can be clothed into a new way of life. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24 that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness of truth. And as we know for the fulfillment of this commandment there are three basic commands and verbs. This is to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. And to verify or to confirm this commandment, we will refer to one more place of scripture in which the author provides an analogy for the truth that calls us to set aside our former way of life and its works so that we could be clothed in a new man who has the ability to be renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Colossians chapter 3 verses 8 through 11 But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, skidian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. We have noted that answering these faithful questions will affect whether we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, or rather, will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit, or will we waste it forever? Because of this, our names will forever be blotted out of the Book of Life. In a certain format, we have already examined the first two questions and have stopped to examine the question, what conditions must we fulfill so that through our renewed thinking, we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man who is created by God in Christ Jesus in true righteousness and holiness of truth. And in regards to clothing ourselves into our new man, we came to the conclusion that we need God's help in the subject of his mercy. The means for accepting this kind of help expressed in the inheritance of God's mercies is none other than prayer and worship, or worship in spirit and truth, because prayer is simply the right that man gives the heavens to interfere here on earth, and we are called to give God this right only on his established conditions. 
One of David's prayers written in the 143rd Psalm, where he gives God the right to interfere in his life with his mercy and truth, will be an example for us of our inheritance. And this prayer has become the subject of our study. And this is in many other songs, laws, prophets, psalms. But the Holy Spirit had stopped our attention on this particular one. Let us read it, Psalms 143, verses 1 through 12. This is the prayer song of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of the old and meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies, and you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. The unique state of the human heart. Human heart in which God dwells. Take a look at how he prays, what he asks for, and what is it contained in his heart. That to be heard by God, it was necessary for David to present God a foundation or a right that could serve for God as proof that he could interfere in David's life with his mercy and truth. From David's perspective, this kind of proof in this prayer contained ten different arguments that David brought to God, saying, Hear me because of your righteousness and truth. Hear me because I remember the days of the old and all of your works. Hear me because I spread out my hands to you. Hear me because I trust in you. Hear me because I lift up my soul to you. Hear me before I run to you. Hear me because you are my God. Hear me for your name. Hear me for your mercy. And hear me because I am your servant. In previous sermons, we have already examined the nature of the first argument that gave God the legal right to stand on David's behalf to help him withstand his enemies, and we have stopped to study the second argument. 
The second argument is evidence brought by David in prayer that showed that he remembered the days of the old and all the works of God done in these days written on the tablets of our heart. The image of this evidence is presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, which was a standard for a constant memorial before God containing the standard of a constant prayer. And this first point of judgment was made for and served only one object, the presence of which allowed God to hear man and allowed man to hear God. And so to be heard by God in the revelations of his Urim, it was necessary to maintain a remembrance of the works of God in the subject of his Urim, which God had made in the days of the old. And we know that the Urim is the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, and the Urim is the Holy Spirit who unveils the essence and the mystery of the teaching of Jesus Christ in our heart. For the breastplate of judgment as a subject of a continual prayer before God is a sacred image of the format of a continual prayer. And so a prayer that does not meet the requirements and characteristics of a breastplate of judgment does not have a right to be called a prayer, because only the format of a continual prayer presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest gives us the right to draw near to God and enter the sanctuary as kings and priests unto God, so that we can represent the intercession that follows the interests of His will. It's not our desire, but His desire. This is how uh, the breastplate of judgment is explained continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving earnestly in prayer we have noted that continuity in prayer is defined by a burning lamp that defines the state of the righteous heart of man or the good heart of a person the light of the righteous rejoices but the lamp of the wicked we put out proverbs 13 9. the order of the makeup of the breastplate of judgment contains conditions that true worshipers of god whom god searches for himself are supposed to have john 4 chapter 24 it says but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth violating the order of the breastplate of judgment which yields the state and nature of a worshiper of god results in the breastplate of judgment losing its nature and purpose worshiping the father in spirit and truth is to not damage the truth in the pursuit of goals that are set by god in scripture that many did before and many continue to do due to their ignorance or their hypocrisy or their jealousy for we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.17 In the Septuagint, the breastplate of judgment is called a sign of justice. Because through Urim and Thummim that were contained in the breastplate of judgment, God can tell man his judgment. The image of the breastplate of judgment, as we know, represents the conscience of man that is cleansed from dead works, on the tablets of which, as well as the seal, is the twelve teachings of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. 
A conscience that is cleansed from dead works with a seal on the tablets of truth and rightness will yield the nature of true worshippers who will give God the right to act in them and through them on planet Earth. And God searches for these kind of worshippers for Himself. In a certain format, we have already looked at the measurements of material out of which a breastplate of judgment was to be made, and we have stopped to look at the next condition, which states. Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 through 21. And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a carbuncle, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, and a gate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in golden settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. We have noted that these twelve golden settings yield the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, which as the worshippers of God are called to represent in our continual prayer. In the twelve precious stones with the engravings of markings of the twelve names of the sons of Israel is an image of our prayer that represent the perfect judgments of God. From this we can conclude that the golden that it was not the golden settings and the subject of the truth of the word of God that were engraved to fit the stones, but rather the stones and the subject of our prayers are engraved to fit the measurements and configurations of the golden settings of truth. So our prayer must exactly coincide with the requirements of the will of God so that there can be expressed the desires, the will of God, so that there is no premises of the flesh or our own desires. And therefore, continual prayer in the twelve precious stones of the breastplate of judgment with the twelve names is an unceasing prayer. This is how it must be defined. What is a continual prayer? It is unceasing prayer, which in its intercession represents the interest of the will of God and does not step away from the goal until he receives what he's asked for. The makeup, the breastplate of judgment in our heart is represented in the tree of life, in the image of the tree of life. Growing the tree of life in our heart is building ourselves into a new man created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth into a spiritual dwelling, a holy place. We have noted that all of the grandeur and order of the temple was made for only one holy object, and it served only one object. This was the golden ark of the covenant. The same way the ephod of the high priest with the breastplate of judgment was created and served only one holy object which was called to exactly double and fulfill the functions of the Golden Ark. This is Riemann Because the Golden Ark of the Covenant and the Breastplate of Judgment figuratively represented the conscience of a person that has been cleansed from dead works. Riemann Thumim in Hebrew means light in perfection, light in right, or revelation and truth. Light is revelation of the Holy Spirit, and perfection is the Word of God. 
light and right here the teaching of Jesus Christ presented it in right and light is a ring which unveils this right or revelation and truth the teaching of Jesus Christ the ring is presented in the truth and the Holy Spirit is like revelation who unveils his truth in our heart Decalogue placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant, which was an example of Christ, was truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth and the way and the life. And this truth was presented in the breastplate of judgment as the mean. The revelation that a person could receive under the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was represented in the breastplate of judgment as Urim. Therefore, a worshiper of God could only be a person who has a conscience that is cleansed from dead works, or who has set a wise heart or who has a wise heart, on the tablets of which is sealed truth in the subject of the moon. It should be noted that sometimes people reach this moment when they they do not cleanse their conscience from dead works because through instruction and faith they do not receive the twelve settings and the twelve stones with the names of the patriarch engraved on them. They don't receive the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. What happens to these people? Christ says when the house is cleaned and it is empty, and Satan goes there, he takes seven of his strong ones and he says, let me go check this house. He finds it empty and cleaned out. A person has sanctified, but he hasn't entered the teaching in there. He hasn't entered the me because Urim will only come upon the me. The Holy Spirit will be as the Lord in whose heart has truth. People think that if they receive baptism in the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit lives in them. That's absurdity. In order for the Holy Spirit to live as ruler in the heart of a person, he must leave infancy and grow. He must engrave truth in his heart, not in scripture, but here in his heart, so that he stops saying foolish things. I have faith. I have faith. I have faith. God doesn't worry about what is written there. He is vigilant over the living word that is engraved in the heart. He is vigilant over that word. You could say all you want what is written there. These are empty words for which you will pay a price for. The fact that you proclaim not the faith of your heart, but idle words, your desires. You proclaim desires in order to engrave in your heart, a great price must be paid. Never will it be recorded in your heart unless you die to your nation, to your household, in the corrupt desires, until you submit to the order of God in the Church of Christ, and until you are taught in this church through the person set by God to preach the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Until your heart, while until your heart remains foolish, God cannot send anything. He has sent the Holy Spirit to Mesopotamia. He came and he gave, gave gifts to everyone, the foolish and the wise. The foolish are those who are called and the wise who are chosen. The fools are the Laban, Ethuil. They accepted the Holy Spirit as a guest. But Rebecca had accepted him as Lord and ruler over her life, and her goal was to take her away from there. But they remained with their gifts. But he had let her out. The same way he will lead out the chosen remnants, and the rest will boast of their own spiritual gifts. We have gifts. We can cast out demons. Who cares that you have gifts? You don't have the truth in your heart, nor the Holy Spirit as Lord and ruler. You invite him to every service as if he was a guest, and you 
pray or you sing in your songs, the Holy Spirit, you are the guest of heaven. Therefore, the revelation of God in the subject of Urim could exist only in the boundaries of truth that are represented by the in the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. Here is Exodus chapter 21 verse 6, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. So God does not place his wisdom in the heart of a foolish person. Wise is one who had engraved the teaching, who had entered it there. He lives according to it, and he always meditates. What could this mean? What could this truth or this commandment mean? Therefore, the companionship of the new Urim is the union of two formats of wisdom that tells us that the carriers of the new and Urim are the true worshippers of God and have the immunity of the Holy Spirit. These people people are very prized in the eyes of God and uh, one and you must be very careful because if there carries a room to me because the critic uh, the critics of this person the resistance against this person will be likened to death it means that death in Christ so you will die to Christ, you will die, and you will go to hell. Although you think that you are going to eternal life, you will be buried and they're going to say, you've gone down to eternal life. But if you resisted the person who is the carriers of Rimantamim, you are going to go down into the pit because you were the carrier of Satan. You resisted this person because he had Rimantamim that you didn't have. Take a look to Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 8 through 11. And of Levi he said, but your Thamim and your Urim be with your Holy One. Again, remember, an each patriarch contains, is contained our faith. Who is Levi? It's a person who is attached. Now, uh, she called him Levi. So, uh, he says, Let your dominion room be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Masach, and with whom you contended at the waters of Merabach, the sins of his mother and father, and not seen them. Nor did he acknowledge his brothers, or know his own children, for they have observed the word and kept your commandment. So, he is not going to protect his son outside of the uh, limits of holiness, because this was, this was accepted. People, people had saved their children, whatever you may do. Oh, that's my son or that's my daughter. They won't protect them. They're going to correct them and say, this is truth or you're not right. In a certain format, we have already studied, examined the first five properties of a worshiper of God through whom God could continually express and fulfill his will on planet Earth. We have stopped to examine the sixth component of a worshiper expressed on the breastplate of judgment of our heart and the virtue of the precious diamond stone. The sixth name on the second row from the bottom that was engraved on the precious stone of the breastplate of judgment on the tablets of our heart was the name of the sixth son of Jacob, Naphtali, meaning wrestler. And Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. We know that each precious stone represented one of the names of God. Therefore, the name of God in the precious diamond stone, according to Jewish rabbis in Hebrew, means Elhai, which translated to Russian means God is living. And therefore, 
the function of the sixth principle, it is a foundation. This is our ability to allow the Holy Spirit to continue with us in prayer battle against the powers of darkness that go against us fulfilling the will of God with the name of the living God. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10. But the Lord is a true God. He is a living God, an everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth will tremble, and the nations will not be able to endure His ignition. We have noted the name of the living God was the format of an oath. In that category of holy nations that did not learn how to swear by the name of the living God or swore to Him falsely, they were headed to total annihilation. They are those who said, I believe, but those are empty words because they're not contained in the heart. You can say, I have faith when you write it in your heart through, through proclamations of faith, but that isn't proclamations of your, of your faith. Therefore, when people swear by the name of the living God and in their heart there is no life, there is no atmosphere, there is no properties, and God says, why are you taking my words and you are throwing them behind you? These people will be headed toward total annihilation. Hebrews, or Jeremiah 12, 16-17, Initially, if they learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. But if they do not obey, I will utterly pick, pluck up, and destroy that nation. Despite the fact that they accepted the seed of justification, God said, I will root them out. They rooted, but they didn't affirm it and they didn't strengthen it. In order to not be eradicated and destroyed by the wrath of the living God, it is necessary to be taught the ways of the nation of God to swear by the name of God, El Hai, or living God. And these paths are the paths, the commandments and statutes of God. These are the paths of the people of God. The condition that gives the right to be taught the paths and statutes so that we can swear by the name of the living God is a desire of their knowledge. Psalms 119 verses 32 to 35. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. So this word, enlarge, when you enlarge, meaning when my heart begins to offer fruits, then I will be able to run the course of your commandments. If I do not offer fruit, I cannot walk the way of your statutes. I need fruit of the Spirit. I will run the course of your commandments. He says, show me the... I will run the course of your commandments. And I will hold on to it till the end. Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Without understanding, David could not understand the commandments of God and keep it with his whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. He who desires, come to me and drink it. We have noted that in Hebrew, the living God, the name of God, on the precious stone El Hai means dwelling, great, unlimited in power, determining our being, creator of being, containing our being, preserving our being, overlooking over our being, Lord of our being. 
Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 20 to 21. You shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast, and take oaths in his name. So only when a person will have the fear of the Lord, he will serve only one God and will not serve other idols. And these idols, we know, are among the people of God, their anointings, their the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. Golden calf, they serve material blessings and they preach that if you don't have material success, this means that you are tied by the spirit of poverty. You must, you must uh, cast it out. These are all idols. We must search for the blesser, the anointer and the gifter. We must serve him. And not only then can we swear according to his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. The result of taking an oath in the name of the living God always meant the fulfillment of the promise for which we made an oath unto God. The power of a warrior of prayer that is contained in the virtue of the name of the living God are called to represent the limitless authority of God over our being and in the time and limits allotted to us. We will need to define what purpose is God pursuing when he calls his children to become warriors of prayer, as well as how and under what conditions can God give a person the right to become a warrior of prayer so that a person could represent the interests of God in the realization of his inheritance in God. According to scripture, being a warrior of prayer is a legitimate and privileged inheritance of saints of all time. Second, this is their original purpose expressed in their calling to trample the wickedness of the wicked in prayer battle. Third, this is one of the greatest provisions that is given by God to man in which a person becomes a king and priest unto God and is seen by God as a diamond with the engraving of the name Naphtali. By not being a king and priest unto God, in the virtue of which a person could rule his emotional organ with his um, informational organ, so with his mind over his emotions, it is impossible to be a warrior of prayer. The majority of people, it's not their mind that rules, but their emotions. They say, I feel this or I don't feel that. When you meet with a person who says, I feel the Lord is here, or I feel the Lord, this word, I feel, this means that this person does not know God yet. And perhaps... He understands God with feelings because God is information and not feelings first and foremost. He is a feeling, but he is first and foremost information. What is information? Information is the word, God's word, that is primary. Faith is from hearing the word of God. It means that faith is information that comes from a realm, from a revelation unto God. This is what it means. And when a renewed mind passes all its authority to the new man, we can reign over our emotions. Therefore, the informational organ that is intended to rule over the emotional sphere of our soul is the renewed thinking of man with the mind of Christ. The prayer of a warrior of prayer is a kind of sacred and valued mystery that has an unearthly origin. Therefore, the genesis of prayer, just as the genesis of God, has no beginning and no end.
Prayer is a tongue of God identifying the essence of God and yielding the word of God that defines the genesis of God. Prayer was always, or also, the mystery of God, as well as dwelled in the presence of God as his golden scepter of grace, which he stretched out only on the one who sought his face and to do his will. We see the Holy Spirit at creation um, at when he prayed everything was in water there was no land yet in the beginning and he trembled and he waited in God seeing this kind of worship this kind of prayer he turns to him and says let there be light because the Holy Spirit had brought to action all of the words of God Whoever dared to come to him on their own conditions without being called into his presence, let his golden scepter of goodwill to not stretch upon that person. And so the prayer of this kind of person was not heard by God in spirit. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. A sinner is one who proclaims idle words. Idle words are empty words that have no weight. I have measured you on the weights and you have been found very light. Your words are light. They don't have any kind of weight. Word has weight when this is a word of faith. The word of faith is just like the word of God. It is equal in its powers and its authority. Therefore, the right to draw near to God and stand before God in prayer is God's prerogative. No one himself will be able to draw near or come to God who abides in his inaccessible light. Here's what Jeremiah says, or what God says to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 21 through 22. The nobles shall be from among them, and their governors shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. So when this ruler comes out from the seed of the people of Abraham, then you can be my people, and I can be your God. I can be your God, and you my people, only in this only in this master. Therefore, according to Revelation from Scripture, our prayer and the quality of words of prayer yielded by the virtues of a diamond are supposed to be, or ten different components that they are supposed to be. The first one, the first one and an important one, is unceasing or continual. Jesus taught his disciples that whatever they ask for them to ask through his name, and all that you ask in the name of, in my name, the Father will give you, because he has already given everything to him. And now when we desire to ask him some kind of promise, only he can draw near. But in Christ Jesus, I can draw near to him and each of you individually. And so, again, our prayer must have qualities such as it must be continual, second, perseverant, third, diligent, fourth, with boldness, fifth, reverential, sixth, with showing faith to God, seventh, with thanksgiving, 
8, with joy, 9, in the fear of the Lord, and 10, in the Holy Spirit, or by prayer and tongues. In a certain format, we have already looked at the properties of the first six components of the nature of prayer, as well as the state of warrior prayer, which yields the atmosphere of his heart. This is thanksgiving in prayer, which is one of the dignities that is a part of an aroma. Thanksgiving in prayer is the expression or an unraveling of a thankful heart before God that is accepted by God as a fragrance with which a person is supposed to walk in the presence of God so that he does not die. Apostle Paul said to the church in the end days, people are going to be ungrateful. He means that people in the church are not going to be, they're going to be ungrateful. To better understand the meaning of the element of thanksgiving and prayer, we have decided to study four classic questions to define the nature of prayer as well as the conditions that we must fulfill so that we could be clothed into His nature and release its presence in prayer. This is the definition and purpose of thanksgiving and prayer. It's the price for being clothed in thanksgiving. Third, it's keeping and cultivating thanksgiving in relation to God. And fourth, is this is the fruit and nature of thanksgiving. In a certain format, we have already studied the first three questions and have stopped to study the fourth. What result, results will be God's gratitude and answer to the fruit of our thanksgiving and prayer? We know that thanksgiving and prayer is first and foremost an act of obedience towards the faith of God in which a person trusts in the words of God and believes in the fact that God is vigilant over His word and that God will reward those who seek Him. And so, receiving a promise in his heart through the gospel word from his messenger, a person rejoices in his heart and begins to thank God for the inexistent as if it existed. Because of this, an answer of God's gratitude to the faith of the heart expressed in the fruit of the mouth that praises in thanksgiving will be comprised of executing the promise that is awaited by a person over to God who is so that it is fulfilled. We must know that if a person in his thanksgiving proclaims the faith of his heart from the inexistent to the from the inexistent to the existent, the fulfillment of certain promises will be fulfilled in time, but some will be fulfilled in an undying reward in eternity on the new heaven and earth. Not all promises God will fulfill on earth, because some promises do not belong to the earth, but they belong to the new heaven and the new earth. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 through 16. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. He received testimony in his heart that God would rapture him alive, and he hold on to it. Faith, again, is information of information that was in his heart. He received it as a revelation from God. He received it because in his heart was the mean, the truth. He worshipped God. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Sometimes people ask, what kind of testimony did he receive? Did he receive? Here's the answer right in this passage. This will be an inner evidence that you have found favor in his eyes that you have pleased him. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, 
moved with godly fear. No one was against his in his heart, but he did that which was engraved in his heart. He had done measurements of the ark, how to prepare it. Can you imagine so many years? The earth is spread, or the earth, the climate was very equal in all places. There was no strong, cold or heat. For people didn't have understanding before it rained. And then all of a sudden, in a dry place, a person begins to build according to Revelation. He's building a big ark. Of course, when there was this big ark, this is built not one year, not two years. It is built in 120 years. Now imagine. A building, it, the kind of building it was, because he needed to place all of the animals in there, all of those that crawled, and gather enough food from them. Of course, no one paid attention to us. They looked at him as somebody who was foolish. Where is he going to go? They said. They worship God and he worshiped God, but they had different kind of worship, like today. There are different kinds of worship. If you come into one church, Christ is different than another church because the worship completely differs differently. Christ is presented differently as well in other churches. Some people think he's a philosopher, some people think that he's their friend. Some portray him as a businessman who is able to earn or to place into circulation. And only for very few is he the lamb, the pierced lamb. And so, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world, who became heir of righteousness. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place where he, which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of the promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith they waited for this, not having an ounce of this land. By faith Sarah herself also received the strength to conceive. So in that age, at that time, especially since she was unfruitful and her menstrual, menstrual cycles had concluded, and she accepted the seed and gave birth, and therefore from one man in him, as good as dead, were born as many of the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as a sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. So these promises that are that were on earth, they were not really promises because they saw them from afar off and they said of themselves that they are foreigners and strangers on this earth. They wanted to receive the promise there. Here they considered themselves foreigners and sojourners. Their main um, promise was their inheritance to come home. 
И те, которые так говорят, показывают, что ищут Отечество. И если бы они в мыслях имели то Отечество, из которого вышли, то имели бы время возвратиться. That country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. Take a look at how God answers Thanksgiving with Thanksgiving. They thanked God for the inexistent as existent. It was in their heart, engraved in their heart. And he who read can distinguish this revelation and fulfill it. If the revelation is not complete in the heart of a person, God will fulfill it. God said, write it plainly so that he who reads, uh, he who runs can read it. And now we will turn to the answer of God's gratitude that is contained in the different, different events found in Scripture. There are many of them. If I have enough time, I will mention four of them, four signs, and I think this will be enough. How God, uh, to our thanksgiving, in which we call the inexistent as existent, answers with his thanksgiving. And so the first sign that I would like to focus our attention on is the answer of God's gratitude, the gratitude of his son in which he, by the word of faith, brought Lazarus out of death. John chapter 11 verses 41-44 And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was, man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out about, came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to loose him and let him go. We know that the Bible is a very economical book. However, the event that is tied with Lazarus is illustrated in the whole 11th chapter, which contains 37 verses in the first part of the 12th chapter. It was specifically this event that served as a starting point from which the high priest vowed to kill Christ. Because Lazarus was resurrected, many Jews came and believed in Jesus. And it was out of the house of Lazarus, who was resurrected, that Jesus made his last journey to Jerusalem, after which the uh, Sanhedrin um, ordered him to be arrested and die on the cross. Lazarus is, is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Eleazar, which means God helped, God's help, or God is helper. In Jesus Christ, in the death and resurrection of Lazarus, God's thanksgiving is presented for our thanksgiving. Here we, see, we saw the death in Christ of Jesus himself, and there it was demonstrated our death and our resurrection. Very interesting. What kind of death and what kind of resurrection? In the death and resurrection of Lazarus, God wanted, I repeat, wanted to show an image of the death and resurrection of Christ as well as the image of the death and resurrection of that category of people in which God abides and who abide in Christ. But Lazarus had resurrected not in a transformed body. We're not talking about rapture right now. He had resurrected, but his body was not transformed, but he was clothed in resurrection. And he had no more illnesses. 
In this manner, the event with Lazarus was intended to serve as help for Christ as well as those who were contained in Christ. If we do not die in Christ as Lazarus had died, then we cannot call ourselves into the resurrection similar to Lazarus. This is a parable or a proverb. I'm not saying that in the little steps of the word we must die, but we must die to our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires, so that we can be called into the new man in the resurrection of Christ. And before we begin studying this fear, I would like to focus our attention to one important detail that is noted in the resurrection of Lazarus as well as the resurrection of Christ. This was the stone that was taken away where the dead man was lying. Do you remember why God showed the resurrection of Lazarus to Christ and said, take away the stone? Christ, there was also uh, a stone that was taken away from the tomb. When I had told you, when I had prayed, and I said, Lord, show me on what state your bride is uh, found in. Where are we right now? I'll remind you, I saw a pit in myself lying in a pit on a stone, and it was covered with, with a rock, with a stone. And I saw that this pit was tied to hell. I saw how there was the head of a serpent, but he couldn't look at me directly, although I was laying. And I knew that I was dying, but I'm living, I'm laying, I'm feeling everything. I see this event occurring, and I'm laying on this cold stone. I had no fear. I was completely at ease and at rest. I see the head of the dragon, the serpent, but he can't look at me, and he leaves. And before him and I, there appears a high throne, and upon it, a person sitting, who is loosened, and he stretches his hand out to me, because I'm waiting for resurrection, I am waiting for when the stone will be taken away, and he, sends a, he stretches out his hand for help. His hand touches me, and his hand is cold. I jump back, and I said, who are you? And he says, your flesh. I said, I forbid you, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. So God had shown me that. The Bride of Christ on this day is not that I am there alone or my, this is my state, but this is the, com the communal state before the rapture of the Bride. Because before God raptures her, she must be clothed into the new man. It is this that must shake the world and that this is what the, the kings will see and be astonished by. The saints will suddenly become beautiful, young illnesses will leave and will not draw near. Not one virus is going to be able to remain living in the presence of this person. Whatever the virus may be, wherever the, the hand of a person may fall on, that virus will die because the person will be clothed into the new man. But this had to happen at the end of ages. And there must be a sermon of this about how to take off the old man to renew the sphere of our thinking and then through our renewed thinking because again everything will happen through the renewed thinking through this king how to be clothed into the new man and in order to be clothed into the new man this king must turn to the priest to his renewed spirit to the new man who is going to carry his worship further. The prince goes up uh, to the threshold and then the priest takes his worship, his sacrifice further into the temple. 
And I saw this, and here, pay attention, God shows to Jesus as well as us how the stone was taken away. The difference was that in the resurrection of Lazarus, the stone that closed the entrance of the grave was taken away by people. He said, take away the stone, because he himself couldn't take it away. Even Lazarus, he was resurrected, that he couldn't do it on his own. The stone that was that closed the entrance of the grave where Jesus lay was taken away by angels. When the watchmen stood, all of a sudden there were angels, and the stone was was removed. The watchmen grew, grew afraid. It's interesting that Lazarus was four days in the tomb and Christ was three. To clothe our body into the new man, it is necessary in the dimension of the Spirit to be immersed in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and be contained in the figurative grave that is closed by a stone. And when the time allotted to us by God in the death of our Lord Jesus expires, the Holy Spirit, through the gospel word of his messengers, will command the stone to be taken away from the entrance of the grave in which our soul will rest. Our soul that has died in the death of the Lord, uh, the death of Christ for our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires. The image of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the image and resurrection of Lazarus is a revelation for us about how the Holy Spirit will clothe us into the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man who has been created by God in Jesus Christ. Accepting the image of man, Jesus was given the virtue of being a light to the world in the format of a deposit. And to affirm the status of light in the virtue of the Son of Man, Jesus was to place the deposit of his virtue into circulation in which he was supposed to voluntarily give himself up to death to inherit resurrection in this manner to affirm the virtue of life in the status of the Son of Man. Revelation chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Before this, he did not have the keys of Hades and of death. But now, after death, which he, over, which he overcame and was called in resurrection, he has the keys of heaven and death. And it says, Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand are the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So to him was shown the church of Jesus Christ, as the head of which stands Christ himself. Seven angels are the seven servants, but in fact, there are not seven, there are more. Seven means fullness, and there are not seven churches, there are many across the whole, uh, across the whole earth. The seven means fullness. Lazarus is an image of a person whose body has not changed but was clothed in the resurrection of Christ. Before the resurrection of Lazarus, he did not turn any Jews to Christ, although he was a friend of Christ. But after four days in which he was contained in the death of the Lord Jesus, being clothed in the resurrection of Christ in the face of his new man, he became a light to the surrounding Jews, many of whom came and believed in Christ. But before this, not one had believed, although they were friends of Christ. 
John 12, 9 through 11. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. Again, this is referring to Christ, that he was there, that he was in the house of Lazarus. Jesus loved to go there. This was his friend. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. When Lazarus became a light and to attract souls to Christ, when he was clothed in the resurrection of Christ, when he was resurrected. An image of four days during which Lazarus was in the grave and then rose is addressed well in the first book of Genesis. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. God set them in the fulfillment of the heavens and give, to give light on the earth. God saw that this was good, so the evening and morning were the fourth day. So the first day God said, let there be light. But this light was darkness, the light that was in you was dark. This light cannot attract souls to Christ and cannot maintain a person himself. In order to be a light, it is necessary to have in our spirit, in our heart, a sun, moon, stars, so the whole arsenal, the whole army of heaven. Be a light is not just to be some kind of star, some kind of ray, but this is to have the whole uh, army of heaven to rule earth, to rule oneself. A person cannot rule oneself according to the will of God. He rules oneself according to his own will. The light that is in him, only on the fourth day, this is an image of why he was there for four days, and only after that did he begin to attract souls. These were not literally four days, these were, as we know, four periods of history that came to their end. We are found uh, at the end of the fourth period when God will remove the stone and he is begin to remove because the sermon that says when you hear that there exists the opportunity here on earth to see with our own eyes the resurrection of christ as job had said but i believe that my redeemer lives with my eyes not the eyes of someone else. I will see the salvation. He believed in what? He believed in redemption. He had the teaching of Judaism about redemption. That which I have, I will have, not because I have earned it, but because this is the great mercy of God. I will hold on to it before God. And therefore, God read it. You know, how Job had suffered, how long? For four years. For four years, he was ill with an illness that people had died to after several weeks. And medicine does not yet understand how he could have been sick for four years. This is a terrible kind of illness that literally ate the whole body, that the, the body was just in knots, it was swollen, there were ulcers, 
There was a, a terrible scent, but he continued to hold on to his his purity. His wife said, you have sinned. His devil said, you have sinned. His friend said, you have sinned. He says, no, I did not. He searched in his heart and did not find sin in it. And he writes of who, who he was. He didn't know what was happening with him. And of course, the bride of Christ and her understanding does not yet understand what is going on with her. That, that which the wicked must, must endure, that she endures. They look at her and said, this is, this you are enduring because of this and that, and you are lost and so forth. That's why you are suffering. Let's continue to look at the next image of the four days of the death of the Lord Jesus. This is the smell of a carcass that was supposed to be assigned to the angels, thanks to which they will be well informed around which category of people they should make a protective circle around so that they could be ready to participate in the clothing of their bodies into resurrection and in the resurrection that is to take place when we meet the Lord in the air. The angel partakes in the process that happens with the person. The Holy Spirit, although we don't see these angels, but they're always present. They are present upon healing. They are present upon praise. Uh, right now, there are free spaces, but we see them free. But they are taken up. There where the Lord dwells, the angels take up all the empty seats. Not just that, but they surround this as a rainbow the whole house of prayer not just here but the whole um, the whole face of the earth if God dwells there they sing with us they don't sing other songs they sing those songs that we sing along with us but we don't hear them but they sing them we don't see them but they are with us they surround the body of Christ as well as each individual person when he goes on his way home. They surround them as an army. They protect him and circle him. John 11, chapter 39 through 40, Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Pay attention here. Stench. Who is this? For her, it's a stench. But the angels that surrounded, for them, this was an aroma. Did you know that hawks, that eagles, the carcass that you smell that is a stench for you, it's a delicacy for him. He eats it joyfully. This is a delicacy for him. For the Egyptians, the sheep was... Um, the sheep was uh, an unclean animal. Scripture says that for the righteous, 
Unclean is the wicked. They for one another, the wicked and the righteous for one another, they are a stench. Therefore, when lawless people, they somehow, God acts in these churches, these people cannot withhold for them this service, this teaching begins to have a stench. They try to uh, create something so that they can leave, so that this is lawful, so that their conscience does not, uh, does not blame them. But it is God who removes them from the church because you have become an aroma of Christ. Remember that to be an aroma is to be a stench for the wicked and lawless people who speak equal evil words, who have for the Lord. These saints are an aroma. Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 28. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and at the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So they will say that they are sent. I am the Christ, meaning I am sent. Christ means sent by God. This does not mean that they will say, I am the Christ in little sense, but they will say, I am a messenger of God. He says, many will come. For the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Eagles are angels. Where will they be gathered? Where will they be surrounded? Who will they protect? There where there is this aroma. When this is the fourth day in the tomb, when we are in death, people will say, are we going to be in this state for a long time? Until well, we have placed in the death of the Lord Jesus begins to decay. When we, it begins to decay, we will have rest. At first, we are at first we are groaning and moaning because this is a reappraisal of our priorities. There, where we that was important to us before, might not be important anymore. We have died to the things before. We have wisdom how to turn away and where to trample. We know where to depart and where to trample on evil and where to depart from evil. But before this, we do not know how to trample, how to turn away, where and how. The final touch that we will see when we are clothed into the new man before we are resurrected because God will resurrect the bride is when the grave clothes are taken off us and we will receive the opportunity to walk in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, Lazarus, come forth, and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. But so the grave clothes that covered the dead were linen cloths that were drenched in incense that were used for the wealthy and poor deceased citizens. Благовониями. 
в саду богатого человека. А по всему Лазарь умерший, обиды погребальными пеленами, Therefore, for Lazarus who had died in clothed in grave clothes is an image of the fragrance that came from men who presented his body to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Whereas the resurrected Lazarus, freed from the grave clothes, is an image of a person walking in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So to have an aroma so that he receives us as a fragrance of Christ. That's why these grave clothes were needed. Now, he says, this was needed in death, and now it's, they're not needed. Now, let him go, freed from the grave clothes. The second sign and answer of God's thanksgiving to the thanksgiving of the Son of Man, in whom he fulfilled the thirst of people who followed him into the wilderness. This is another event. I want to, in another event, to show how God answers with his thanksgiving, because in Christ Jesus we are called to inherit all of that which God has placed in the Law, Prophets, and Psalms as an answer of his thanksgiving to his thanksgiving shown by him in obedience to his Father from death and death on the cross. Mark 8, 6. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. Studying this event as an answer of God's thanksgiving to the thanksgiving of man, I would like to focus our attention in this event on the food that perishes and the unperishable food which we could receive if we accept the truth about thanksgiving. When we thank God for a specific promise which we accepted in our heart through the gospel word of truth in the format of a seed, then as a rule, through the same gospel word we will be gifted the revelation about how to transform this promise from the unseen spirit to the visible. The first thing that we should highlight is that disciples who dispersed the bread of Christ to not the whole nation in Israel, but only to those people who under inspiration of the Holy Spirit followed Christ into the wilderness and were with him and listening to him for three days. Are you not as astonished? How in for three days and three nights, people who had gone into the wilderness were located there when people in churches today can't even sit for two hours. On that service, we had an American with his wife who came to visit and he was very surprised. A whole hour, how can you say so much? How can people take all this information in? Our service is only 35-40 minutes, and there's 10 to 12, 10 to 15 minutes of the pastor's word, and the rest is singing and so forth. And in this time, 45 minutes, some go out to smoke, and to go uh, take their dogs or cats to the bathroom, those who are left in the car. These are people who speak in tongues, these are charismatics. They go out to smoke and they say it's not sin. And so they're surprised. And now, are you not surprised how they heard Christ for three days and three nights total? How come they didn't leave? What were these people who had found him in the wilderness? In those days, and I will read it fully, Mark 8, 1 through 4, in those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, 
Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Imagine three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. Can you imagine uh, people don't not eating for three days and to listen? People who come to church today have coffee and tea with them. I've already announced. I've already announced. Don't do this. And they said, I'm just with tea. You didn't say coffee. I said, coffee and tea, both things. You don't need to enter them there. Make this a holy place. Make this food for God. Here we receive imperishable food. We should not have perishable food there. This is only two hours that we do this. You can, you can have water. This is something completely different. But not tea and coffee. Here it says, for some have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Imagine, they came to Christ so many people, and they, these will be saved. Not all of Israel, not all of the people. Because there came people from all countries and cities whom the Holy Spirit had led into the wilderness. And we know that the seven broken bread symbolized the unique omission of the life of God in the body of Christ. Seven broken breads by Christ yield the inner state of the heart of the bride of the Lamb, which is expressed in meekness, expressed in the fruit of humility before the will of God, which they learned from Christ, the commander and fulfiller of our faith. Only there are the seven broken breads. If the church is not taught this kind of humility and is not humble, it is not going to be able to forgive one another, to ask for forgiveness. If it's not able to do that, if they don't care for one another, then of course, there will not be the seven broken breads. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The second thing which we should highlight is in the order of the body of Christ, in which all who are weary who come to Christ can find rest for their souls in the seven broken breads broken by Christ. First, pay attention. They were supposed to lay on the ground. Any other person would feed him two times a day, right? When I went to Europe, to Germany, when we, I had service, but there was service not for two hours, but three hours there, and I said, I spoke for two hours. We were staying for about an hour or so. And then the tables were covered. People ate for two or three hours, and then there was service again. And this was it for three days. And there, there were three days, there, they had nothing except for water. They had nothing, can you imagine? Three days, and they didn't leave. They were hungry, they didn't go anywhere. What kind of thirst do you have for hearing the word of God? That for three days and three nights to be found in the wilderness and not go anywhere. Here it means that they had to lay on the ground and prepare themselves to accept the food. According to ancient practices, to eat food, it was necessary to lay at a table or rest. These were short tables, not like the, the, the table, like a European table with Christ's 12 disciples. No, they were they lay, lay, sat on the ground and there were these small, small tables and there were pillows that they were they half, the half laid on. There was the order of 
eating. The reward of eating was like rest, where a person was supposed to rest and on the pillows and to eat. You will never see Christ, that Christ sat at the table. He laid on the table and laid, means half, half laid on this pillow that was by the table. That was how um, food was eaten in the ancient days. Therefore, to lay on the ground is expressed in the readiness to hear what God says and immediately fulfill what we hear. It says, He to sit is to order, to command, to command, to instruct, exhort. And to lie down is to bow, lie at the table, be in the state of rest. Second, in the presence of Christ, they were were supposed to accept the broken bread out of the hand of the disciples. He was found there. But they are going to accept not from his hands, but the hands of the disciples. Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. He gives to the apostles, his messengers, revelations, not for them to eat. He gives it to those, and they can eat along with them. He gives it to them so that they can give it to the people. This is a sign. The third sign is an answer to the thanksgiving of God to the thanksgiving of his nation, in which his nation, in exaltation and jubilee, thanked him for the inexistent victory as existent. We have ten more minutes, and I am going to try to also talk about the third sign, although I've prepared four. Um, now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22. We are talking about the third sign where God, in an answer to the thanksgiving of his people, answers with his thanksgiving. They began to thank him for victory in which they had not yet received. There was a great nation coming at them. This nation cannot yet be seen. They were told that they are coming from this side and they came out from that side. There was a small amount of people. Before them go the priests who sound with the trumpets and they praise God and all of them praise the Lord. Let the Lord live and great is his mercy. And when it says that they had praised God, saying praise to God, what does God do? He ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. When they see that all were already dead when they had arrived, now they just take the gains. We see thanksgiving is a kind of strong weapon. When the enemy encroaches on you, you begin to thank God for victory because he has already won this war on the cross. He has resurrected. He has already won. It doesn't matter how much you have lost. Christ has won the war and you will win this war in him. You will win there where you are bound in your fears. You will win if you truly hold on to this promise and you begin to use in prayer, not to cry and, and say, Lord, have mercy, but you say, Lord, thank you that you have already done this in Christ Jesus. You have already placed this on my account in Christ Jesus. Therefore, the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir is an image of our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires. And to defeat them with the cross of our Lord Jesus, it was necessary for God to stir disagreement 
between them. For God to stir this agreement between them, it was necessary for him to have the foundation expressed in our thanksgiving for the victory we have not yet obtained, as though we have obtained it. And you know, when they begin among them to, to argue, take a look at what's happened with what's happening with Israel right now. The enemies have gone against one another and they are destroying one another around Israel. Israel, not understanding, they are still scared. Oh, maybe perhaps this is on us, perhaps this is going to come up on us. The president goes everywhere to Putin, then here to America. He meets with the leaders, we're talking about uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, because he doesn't know what to expect there. If Putin makes a deal with Iran, Iran is an enemy, and if with that one there, an enemy they don't understand according to the word of god no one will destroy them god hasn't founded this government and that's it there isn't going to be any kind of empire that's going to go up against them this kingdom is going to be so strong that their own christ will come on this hill and will govern the whole world this is that place where God has already founded the government after 2,000 years. Among millions of Muslims, there was a small amount of Jews. They had created an, a unique victory. They had ran and left all their tanks on the field. This was... This was a miracle of God. No one wanted to take those witnesses about what happened there, but there were supernatural miracles that had occurred. Many Muslims had then turned to Christianity after this, and they talked about what happened then at that war. They saw the angels of God. When it seemed like they would be overcome all of a sudden, or when they seemed like they would overcome, one Muslim, he had before become then a Christian, he had met with those veterans who had fought and asked him, what happened? You were able to kill us. We were, there were very few that surrounded us. He says, you didn't see? You weren't told? They said, no. He says, we saw Abraham. He was the height of six meters long, six meters tall. And they, they knew that this was Abraham, their father. He says, raised his hands and stood before us and you and he was going at us and therefore we ran away we understood that this is our father and their father so God had given victory but uh, those who are not Christian they don't understand how God gives victories when we begin to thank God 
And we have received the promise that all of that which God has promised, He has already placed it on our account in Christ Jesus. And we don't need to ask this, but we need to thank God for what we have in Christ Jesus. When we thank Him, then God receives the foundation to fulfill this promise. And for this, it's necessary for it to be in our heart. For it to be written in our heart, we need to prepare our hearts so that it could be dead to our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires. Considering that our time has drawn to a conclusion, let us bow our heads and may the Lord bless us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we bow down before you upon this place upon which you favor to dwell, around which you have surrounded us with your angels. It has become in, impenetrable for devil, for fears, for illnesses, for economic anomalies. You have delivered us from this fear. You will protect us for your glory. We have loved your word and have made it our treasure and our riches. This is our perishable inheritance to which we dedicate our time, which we meditate on, which we value before which we bow down, because you are vigilant over your word so that it could be fulfilled. You have a great desire and you have a desire to fill your promises for your people, but for you it's necessary for your children to present a foundation so that they could, just like you, begin to look at this word and be vigilant over it, to stand watch so that this word is not distorted by some kind of philosophies or false teachings, so that we can worship you in spirit and truth, and may your people be blessed forever and ever so that our prayers can always begin with thanksgiving because you have already answered all of our needs in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I thank you for our healing in Christ Jesus. I thank you for the new man. I thank you for being clothed into this new man, the resurrection of Christ. May you clothe by the power of your Holy Spirit, your inheritance, your bride, in the uh, resurrection of Christ. For we prepare our hearts and our bodies that you can clothe them, because our bodies are your hallow that are redeemed by the blood of your Son. And you have said that this is your temple in which you dwell, and therefore you desire to clothe this temple in the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, to demonstrate to your people, to hell, to the heavens, your glory in your bride. May this small remnant be blessed before your countenance. May it not fear because you have promised to give it your kingdom. And may the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, be glorified in your people and through your people. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation, not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.